G'day boys and girls, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truth2u.org. That's truth number two, letteru.org. I'm Jono, and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, author of The Moses Scroll, Ross Nichols. Hey, mate. Hey, Jono, how are you, man? I'm um, I, I'm a bit excited. There's a bit yeah. of buzz in the biblical archaeological world at the moment. I want to talk to you about that because... Uh, you know a lot about these topics, and it actually touches on uh, one of our favorite topics. Eventually, we're going to get there. We're going to take a break from yep. the text of the Moses Scroll. We've been doing that now. I think, what are we up to? Um, Maybe uh, 16, 19. 19, man. Six, no, no, no. I think next episode will be uh, episode 19 as we work through the text of the Moses Scroll, and we will be uh, kicking off next week from Fragment G. Let's just that say, we, let's just say, we're not taking a break because we feel like we're bored with it or it's not exciting not. to us anymore. We're just taking a break because there's some really hot things happening in the world the of archaeology. Stuff in the news. Yeah. yeah, and and it does. Some of it pertains to uh, it does connect with our uh, saga. So we want to talk about that, and uh, we were going to kick off with. Well, actually, b- before we even get into that, uh, something that we mentioned, oh, I don't know, a month ago, yeah. was the fact that uh, I- I've never been to the States. Right. Never, ever, ever have I ever been to the States. The weirdest thing in the whole world. So over you're 10 overdue. years of truth... I'm you're overdue. O- you're over 10 years of, of, of truth to you, uh, the vast majority of audience has been in the States, and yet I have never been to visit you beautiful people. So... Uh, that's all about to change, thanks to uh, Dave and Patty Tyler, who yeah, uh, really yeah. helped me along to make this decision and, and to get me there. But I am going to uh, come not only to uh, your wonderful country, but to your neck of the woods, Ross, and there's a particular reason for that. Fill us in. Okay, so you're coming, Jono, and everyone needs to hear this, come. to Louisiana. To Louisiana. Listen, I'm going to make you... Yeah. Now, all this is kosher. Don't get nervous, people. I'm gonna make Jono red beans and rice with cornbread. I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna make some hey, gumbo. You were, you were practicing gumbo. your gumbo yesterday. How did I, it go? I was. Oh, what do you, what do you mean? How did it go, Jono? I'm telling <laughs> you, this this stuff will it'd knock your socks off. I let's put it this way. I came to work today at the office. I've been here before anybody woke up uh, at my house. Uh, I had mm-hmm. kids come and go and visit my wife, and they wrote me. They texted me early and said, "You better eat something before you come home because we have wiped out the gumbo." So you're gonna it's you're gonna get already. all that kind of. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, it was a huge pot, Jono. But anyway, you're gonna and, and just just remind me, you, <clears throat> what is the secret ingredient in in gumbo that you use? It's some sort of uh, as I've described before, it's it's like it's like the sultana of the of the capsicum world, or as you call them, peppers. Well, actually, in this case, uh, gumbo has okra in it. Yes, yeah, so it's got to have okra. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But the other, the, the real key ingredient, I have to tell you, no one no out there. I challenge, I challenge the listening audience to try to beat me at making a roux. Oh, a, a roux is at a making thing. a what? It's it's a roux. R O U X. Rue. It's I mean, a we've great, got roux here, but that's a different thing. No, yeah, different thing. I mean, so it's eat, a dark. I don't need them. A dark brown yeah. gravy. But anyway, you'll you'll get all that. But the reason we're there, telling no, no, people. Let me ask. No, wait. Before you keep going, the, yeah. like I hear in 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 the states, you have things like chili cookoffs and stuff like that. Is there such a thing as a gumbo cookoff? Is there like a bunch oh, yeah. of people that? Oh yeah. Oh there is. Yeah, and, and 
have, have you fronted up to that? Have you won any trophies? No, I don't. I don't have time, and plus, I I don't even want to embarrass people by tasting mine <laughs> and then tasting theirs. The other thing you have to have it's a kosher jambalaya. Oh. Usually, it's rice, oh. and and you have uh, some people make it with chicken. Most of them here make it in with pork sausage, but we don't eat pork, Jono. In fact, the tour the tour portion this week, uh, if you follow the oh, annual cycle, is Leviticus biggest. eleven. And, uh, yep, yep. So anyway, kosher jambalaya, all this good food. But listen, even if people can't come and stay at my house like you can and eat all this good cooking every day, (laughs) they can come to the United Israel World Union Conference. Oh, that's right. That's That's what what we were getting. All right. April 29th, April 29th to May the Mm. 1st. It's in St. Francisville, Louisiana, uh, and people that want to join, they have to go to the website, unitedisraelworldunion.com. Long name, but it's worth well, it. Well, I'll put a link. I'll put a okay. link on this post, on, on this particular uh, podcast. Underneath, uh, dear listeners, just click on that. If you would like to go to the, uh, did you say 79th? Yes, yes, the 79th annual Conference of United Israel World Union, founded in 1944 by David Horowitz, proclaiming, Jono, the Decalogue hmm. faith for 79 years. So All that's right. a, that's a pretty so, amazing thing, yeah. So we're if happy. If you would like to go to that, dear listeners, and I really hope that, that you do, because uh, I'd love to meet you. I, I really would love to meet uh, some listeners of Truth To You uh, there. That would just be absolutely grand. So if you click on that link, um, it's going to give you all the necessary details. So there is accommodations that could be can be booked. How many days does it go over? It goes over it's, three it's, days, did you say? It's over the weekend. So uh, okay. registration is Friday evening, and we wrap things up actually Sunday afternoon. But most people are going to want to stay around until Monday, and then they can leave. They'll actually be able to leave Sunday afternoon if they want to. Uh, but one other thing, we don't charge for the conference. Get that. I mean, how how rare is that, right? But we have to have people registered because we don't want to plan for uh, a very small group and it oh, turn yeah, yeah. out like Woodstock, right? So people yeah, yeah, are yeah. sleeping in the parking lot <laughs> and things like that. So that's it. We all right. Well, no, that's good. So, all right. So we need to know if you're coming, uh, let us know. And there's a space for them to do that on this particular link. Is that right, Russ? That's right. We'll give them the direct link to okay. register. That's right. It is. That's it. And that's at the uh, the end of April. So. Looking forward to meeting some truth to you listeners in person. That's right. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And, oh, oh, so we're going to be discussing, the Decalogue Faith, we're going to be discussing uh, Shapira in this conference, right? We're going to be discussing the Moses Scroll? That's right. We haven't announced all the speakers yet. We're still working on the program, and that's for a variety of reasons. But we're definitely going to be talking about uh, the hunt for the scroll, we're going to be talking about the text of the All Moses right. scroll in a, in a very yes. interesting talk. But we're also going to, this, the focus is really around Horev and whether that be the text that Moses wrote, the location of Horev, all of those ideas, the focus is on Horev or Sinai, if people prefer the priestly designation. Listeners okay. to my classes know the difference. But anyway, another another that thing was, altogether. Well, well, no, let's quickly touch on that because that was... Oh, by the way, it's Dave's birthday today. Happy birthday, Dave. Happy Dave birthday, Tyler. Dave Tyler. You know what he's yeah, doing tonight, by the way? He and Patty, he and Patty are yeah. out playing music at the snubbing post. They're very talented musicians, and he's yeah, jamming... 
jamming away right now, and Patty's probably excellent. singing some excellent tunes. So, by the way, awesome. by the way, they're bringing musical instruments with them to the United Israel World Union Conference. And oh, we, done. We have okay. speakers like you wouldn't imagine. I mean, just you're going to get jambalaya, Jono, and you're going to get good music. <laughs> I mean. Who else wouldn't come, you know? Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, just getting back to you, you mentioned uh, the gig that you did on Saturday. Um, you always do a video on Shabbat, uh, on, and, and people can find that on the United Israel YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, there was a little bit of a glitch in the in the video last week, but there is an audio. Where can people find this? Because all I'm saying is that uh, it was the most fascinating talk I've listened Well, everything that you I mean, really, but but you did uh, Vaikra and Sav together, right? Um, last week, just real quickly, tell the people because it's really worth taking an hour and a half to stop and listen, or you know, while you're doing other things, listen to uh, this presentation that Ross gave. It was excellent. So, it just gives the details there. Yeah, they they can find the class, the audio classes, just about as they say anywhere you get your podcast. So you can find okay. it on all the major places. But it's also available, just like you have on Truth To You, all your quality programs. This, uh, The programs that I do on Saturday mornings are also available on UnitedIsraelWorldUnion.com. So they can go mm. there, get the latest class, and uh, download it. They can listen to it online, whatever they want to do. But the basic, basic thing, like you said, I combined uh, Vaikra and Sav because I wanted to cover. You remember in the first seven chapters of... Leviticus, what you have are the sacrifices Mm. and offerings. And so I present those, but I'm presenting them from the stand that the standpoint that these are clearly priestly uh, Levitical literature. These are clearly Mm. priestly texts. And then I challenge the prevailing view of fundamentalism that says, hey, what is it about sacrifices and offerings that is so challenged? Why is it so challenged in later biblical literature. The prophets Mm. seem to have an issue with this idea of the sacrificial cult. So I I Mm. present sort of a challenging topic. Well, let's just say it's a challenging topic. But I provide a case whereby I work through the text, and I, I hope that people will listen to it and offer feedback. I don't need everyone to agree with me. If I did that, you know, I'd never get anywhere. So People can listen to it. They can leave comments. And if they're hateful comments, Jono, I just delete them. I don't leave them. <laughs> there you go. I mean, don't I only leave good things. Nice comments. Sweet. No, I'm joking. There you go. But anyway, people, people, I encourage people to listen to it and join us. By the way, we're going week by week through the um, the annual cycle portion. of readings. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So we're in like class go. 25 going to 26 this week. So It is really good. I Really strongly encourage people to do that. Now, the latest buzz, Ross, in yeah. biblical archaeology uh, has been found on Mount Ival and uh, just so many links, people messaging me and uh, news items and this, that, and the other, and, yep. and you've already been in a conference on it. Come on, give us the details. Yeah, so here's the deal, John. The good thing about you being in Australia, me being in Louisiana, we can tag team. Nothing gets biased. When you're sleeping, I'm awake. <laughs> when I'm asleep, you're awake. So while you were dreaming of sugar plums, I was involved (laughs) in and listening to uh, a link that someone sent me, kind of an insider that I have, Daniel Wright. You know Daniel. Uh, Daniel is very connected with a lot of people in a lot of high places, even beyond you and me, Jono. But 
he sent me a link because he is associated through his work. He's a writer, he's a researcher, he's a graphic designer. He designed a book cover for uh, Professor Adam Zertal, who's passed away now. But Adam Zertal wrote a book, uh, and the book was published in English in 2018, and it's called mm-hmm. A Nation Born, the Altar on Mount Ebal and the Birth of Israel. Now, I'll quickly go through this, Jonah. You were with me when I picked up my copy of this book because I found it at that wonderful shop at Biblical Shiloh. It was on the oh, shelf. Oh, right. Right. Well, I remember that now. I do, yeah. Well, what's so interesting about this is for years now, uh, Daniel Wright has told me about Adam Zertal's very interesting life work, or at least the mm-hmm. thing that he's most known for, and it is the identification in his uh, understanding that this altar, and you and I have looked at this plenty of times on the Tanakh tour from Alon Moray mm-hmm. looking down, uh, he believed and put forward that that particular altar is Joshua's altar, and he did excavations there, Jono, from 18, 1982. See how I'm stuck mm-hmm. in the 19th century? I almost said 18, <laughs> 1982 to 1989. And here's what they did, mm-hmm. Jono. This builds up to the news flash today. So they took the dirt. You know, when you come upon an ancient site, it's called a tell. A lot of times mm. you, you can only see little pieces of stone, but the, it's over the, the, the years, the hundreds, even a thousand more years, dirt and fill has uh, filled up what was once standing out in the open. And mm. as he uncovered that during these seasons of archaeological work, they took the dirt and debris out of the uh, what he identified as the altar of Joshua, and they piled it up. They piled it up, piled it up over and over these seasons. Well, just recently, in 2019, by the way, the connection with Daniel Wright is that Daniel designed uh, the book cover for Adam Zertal's book. You you can find mm. it. We'll, we'll include a link to that, too. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it now because I know that uh, you've just put it in the um, United Israel uh, newsletter. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at it as we speak. And, and you're saying that Daniel designed this particular cover, and I can see that, that got, he's very talented. Daniel, yeah. But he also, of course, designed the cover of the Moses Scroll, your book, and he did an, an exceptional job there as well. Right. So, talented so guy. He, yeah, Daniel had told me about Zertal's work, and so – uh, anyway, so in 2019, Dr. Scott Stripling. Now, Stripling is mm. known for his work at Biblical Shiloh, and uh, he's led an excavation team there for many, many years. A brilliant mm. guy. And uh, so Stripling has a team. Now, they had already dry-sifted this particular uh, uh, collection of dirt, let's just call it, mm. this pile, now, the difference in dry sifting and wet sifting is one of them's wet and the other is dry. People only learn this top-notch stuff from you and I. But, <laughs> but, but sometimes you find more things in wet sifting. You know, we've gone together to the Temple Mount Sifting Project yes. where, we, where we look for them. We've actually found things. Well, that's what they mm. were doing in 2019. 2019, while wet sifting they find a very small artifact, Jono. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. about, as I recall from reading all the press reports, it's been a, a flurry today 
I think that this amulet, it's called a, a lead amulet. In fact, some people mm. are calling it the Eval lead curse amulet. And you can tell the people what it says in a minute. But supposedly uh, in January of this year, there are, or I think it was this year, they actually said that they could detect an ancient olive on this. So he gets with uh, four scientists and a couple of epigraphers and these scientists from the Czech Republic and these epigraphers, they work together to decipher. First of all, it's a piece of lead that's been folded and it was used as an amulet. And so there, you can't just open this thing up as you can imagine. It's a thin piece of lead. It's so small. It's like two centimeters. So they didn't mm -hmm. want to break it. So they used certain types of scans to be able to read the text within its present condition, its present folded shape and so forth. And, and so they're saying that the alphabet on this lead inscription or on this lead amulet, they're calling it proto-alphabetic script. They're saying it's similar to some inscriptions that they found in the Sinai Peninsula, Jono, which most people would date to, get this, the 16th century BCE. Mm. Now, this is older than anything. So imagine the buzz this morning when Stripling hosts this conference, and Daniel Wright sent me a link. I, a link. I was there uh, on the Zoom call as this was announced. Uh, and, and he begins to field questions after he gives a short discussion on this. But the claims are out of this world. They're saying that this is the Old, the earliest inscription that has been found in the land of Israel, first of all, to contain a form. Now, they're not saying it as carefully as I am. They just say they found the name of God. But what did it actually say, Jono? You remember uh, well, my, the, the letters? Yeah, I've, I've got the letters. Uh, well, the, the uh, translation would be YHW or YHV. Right. Uh, as opposed to the Tetragrammaton, it's using three of the letters. And it's a form that's usually, if I remember correctly, it's a form that's usually associated with the Shasu. I think uh, you're right. Which is a, a nomads of the of the Sinai Peninsula. But uh, keep going, Ross. Yeah, so, so whenever I looked at this uh, this morning, I listened to all of it. I even asked a question. I was allowed to ask a question on the second call I was part of. The second one was with Aaron Lipkin. Uh, who seems to be a great guy. He's also an associate of Daniel's. And uh, Aaron Lipkin published sort of a, a live uh, Facebook-type thing where he shared his screen and showed mm -hmm. photographs and talked about the text and so forth. And, and uh, I asked the question during the Q&A, and this is basically what I wanted to know. Has there been a publication in which actual photographs of these scans so that we, the people, can look at the text ourselves. You know, it's not mm. that I don't trust Dr. Stripling or uh, Aaron or anybody else, but I'd like to see those. And and if it cool. has been published, where has it been published? Uh, and if it hasn't been published, which it hasn't, by the way, uh, when it is published, we need to know because there are, there are a lot of questions. A couple come to mind. They, they published a brief transcription of presumably what they saw, but it's in uh, modern Hebrew characters. And the words are spelled with internal vowels. So, for instance, the word translated curse 
is Aleph Resh Vav Resh. But mm. anciently, you would expect, or I would expect that to be spelled uh, without the internal vowel of Vav. So it would be Aleph Resh Resh. Now the question mm. is, what was written on that lead amulet? I want to see that. The second yeah. question I have is if they're saying that this is similar to what we find in those uh, proto-Sinaic inscriptions, well, what does similar mean? Is is every character close to identical? I mean, I'm not talking about the stance, you know, like leans to the left, mm. leans to the right, whatever. But I want to know, is an olive an olive? If you look at what we found in mm. the Sinai, does it match what's on this lead inscription? Uh, that's one of the questions. So I want to look at letter forms. I want to look at orthography, which is the the way words are spelled in a language. Lots of questions. Now, the, the criticism against this find that's really becoming prevalent in the academic community is this. Jonah, when you find something like this, you, mm. you're, you're supposed to. I'm putting air quotes around supposed to. It's common mm. practice that a scholar will publish something to be peer-reviewed. Like, yeah. you, you want to give all the, the top dogs in your field, all the epigraphers, all the paleographers, et cetera, et cetera. You want to give them to an scrutinize. opportunity to scrutinize it, to offer their uh, rebuttals and you know or, or mm-hmm. endorsements. And, uh, <coughs> and this wasn't done. Instead, and they're really being criticized for this, not that I care one way or another, but I understand the criticism. They're saying... You, you didn't follow protocol. You, you didn't allow other scholars, because now you have every Bible thumper, and that's the harsh way of saying <laughs> Bible believer, out there saying, oh, the Bible's proved there's a, not only is it an amulet that contains curses, so, uh, presumably related to the biblical curses from Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 27, but it was found at Mount Eval, where the curses were supposedly spoken. We've done programs mm, on that. We've done programs on that. Um, yeah, so it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, ah, suspicious, not suspicious. I don't know what the word is, but it would have been nice if it was peer-reviewed first because there are questions and there remains questions. And eventually, of course, this peer review will um, uh, come. But it seems like they have deliberately... Uh, stepped over or, or, or left that step and gone um, with the opportunity to sensationalize this. Yeah, to, that's uh, the way it's viewed. Yeah. Take yeah. advantage of uh, of what people want it to be. Um, so I'll let, uh, can I read to uh, the listeners what it actually says? Because Yeah, <laughs> sure. I, listening I, to this yeah. Go, oh, what does it say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so them. this is what it says. I, I really wait, enjoyed wait, this, Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Now read it like you did when we talked earlier. To do it, I mean, like, give it, give it some... Give it some zeal, but be careful because it might be real. You don't want to get in trouble. Go ahead. This is, this is what it says. It says, <clears throat> cursed, 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 cursed by the god YHV or, or Yahoo, maybe that says. Mm-hmm. You will die cursed. Cursed, you shall surely die. Cursed by Yahoo. Cursed, cursed, cursed. That's a, that's a heavy. No, it's really heavy. That's and- a. It's really ticked off. Someone yep. is really, really ticked off, and they're just putting their thoughts down in this, uh, in pressing it into the lead. And by golly, they're not happy about it whatsoever. Um, the thing about it, Ross, when I read that, is that I don't know that there is any corresponding 
verse that you could point to either in the Moses scroll or in the Tanakh in general uh, and go, well, that's clearly that. Um, now, there is another question that, that comes to mind is, and you alluded to this, is Mount Ebal actually the Mount Ebal that is spoken about in Deuteronomy and in the Moses scroll? There are some, <clears throat> definitely some valid questions about that, and we've talked about that before. Um, the Tetragrammaton is not the Tetragrammaton. As I mentioned, it's a three-letter name that is commonly associated with the Shasub. People can look that up. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what are some of the questions that come to your mind? What do you think of those? Well, w- one of the questions that I have, it, it, not necessarily what you just asked, it really is on top of my mind right now, is this, this is a very small amulet. Let's say it's even folded into fourths. You're, you're looking at something that's not that big. And what they say that they determined that the writing contain that thing that you just read is 40 characters, supposedly 40 characters in this language. Now, anybody right. who's seen the Dead Sea Scroll fragments knows that you don't need a lot of room. It's actually a lot of those are written with a very small script. So you could mm. fit that on there. But, but again... I'm curious. I want to see. These are actually, these letter forms are sort of pictographs. So how tiny did they write it, and does it match what we found in other inscriptions? So that's one of my main mm. questions. But but to your point just a minute ago, if you do a search, like I was wondering as I, when they first released what it said, I couldn't mm. find anything that said you know, like that was that much cursedness. You you know, like right there together, cursed, 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 cursed. Mm. Are you cursed to death? Cursed to death. Cursed, cursed. <laughs> you know, it was really. It may as well say. It may as well say. I hate you. Oh my goodness! It's, how I hope it's you strong. Die. I hate it's you strong. So <laughs> it, it's very, very strong. And and the thing about it is, is could it be? What could it? I mean, what what's the purpose of this amulet? Who owned it? Now, obviously, we don't we don't know who owned it, but the implication by the find of this this amulet, where it was found at Mount Ebal, uh, some might quickly derive that a it's ancient, b it's authentic, c it belonged to someone attending uh, the priestly or Levitical duties at that place. Mm. Um, so anyway, so there's all sorts of interesting things that come up when we talk about, you know, what, what are, what are the ramifications of this find? Now I'm holding out, uh, my reservations are not, uh, to dismiss. In other words, I hope that it does validate in some sense, an association with a place called Eval with the curse, because in some ways, whether one considers the Moses scroll legitimate or authentic or not, uh, it, it would confirm that in some ways, you know, an association with the curse and Mount Eval, but that, also the canonical uh, the, the current Mount Eval eventually became known as the as the Mount of Curse. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, it could very well do that, and I, I think so. Did you mention that the dating so far? Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're proposing. They're, they're proposing uh, late uh, Iron Age uh, or Bronze Age Iron Age cross point. So about the time mm. where you know uh, we go from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age, somewhere in that field, that could very well be. But my questions are around this, Jono. It, when mm. you date something archaeologically, there are a couple of ways that you do it. Uh, one, you can use a script. In other words, you could say, "Hey." This script was out of use 
after a certain period of time. So that means one of two things. Either it truly is dated to a period when that script was used. In this case, 16th, 15th century BCE. All right. Another mm-hmm. option is that a later author or a later writer, a later scribe is archaizing meaning Mm -hmm. that they're writing in a period where a different set of letter forms is in use, but they write something in an earlier form to not necessarily... Preserve its antiquity. Exactly, yeah. Uh, So we see see examples of that in in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right, for example. That's correct. That's correct. uh, Some of the the scrolls are, or or some of the material is written in the Paleo-Hebrew uh, to represent its its um, antiquity, I guess. I, I tell you, one other thing we see is also during the Hashmonean period, the Hashmoneans were very uh, uh, pro, you know, like, hey, this is our land. We've been here since the dawn of time. And so they they sort of used that as a revival technique. So in coins and things that, mm-hmm. were, that are associated with the Hashmonean period, they employed the use of uh, an earlier writing form, in this case, Paleo-Hebrew. Now, so that's that's one question that I have is around, did you date it only because of the script, and how do you address the other view that maybe someone's archaizing? Now, the second, mm. the second question I have as far as dating, now all of this, by the way, listeners, all of this may be answered in Dr. Stripling's uh, academic article, and and he's a very good scholar, a very solid uh, scholar. I'm sure he'll address these things. Here's question number two: um, Whenever you you date something archaeologically, and I'm not an archaeologist, but I've worked on archaeological digs and I've read books about it. You know, I've I'm, I'm, I've been around it enough to know mm. that some of the way that you date things is based on what you find in situ. You you dig down, and, and when you first start an archaeological dig in the land of Israel, you're going to uncover uh, cans, like Sprite cans, maybe a tuna fish can. Then you go down a little <laughs> deeper, and you get to a period uh, 100 years ago to the British mm. Mandate period. And then you get to the Muslim yep. times. And then sooner or later, you're at Second Temple, First Temple, so forth. Well, uh-huh. when, you, when you take all of the dirt out of an area and you put it in a pile— you no longer have that context. So what you might say is, hey, I have an altar here that is dated to um, uh, First Temple times or Iron Age. It, mm. Where did this amulet fall out in the strata? Was it at the top? Because what we know is that these lead amulets, similar to this, not all lead, mm. but these amulets were popular in the Roman and Hellenistic times. So how do we know? And, and then you go back to, well, the script puts me back. So I, I just want some answers around that. And what I really want to see is the photographs of the script itself so that I can, you know, give that some attention. And and not, yeah. not, not even me. I want to do it because I want to take a crack at it. But there are really skilled epigraphers uh, who are trained professionally. They have PhDs in this. I want to read what they write about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and, and obviously this is a a fascinating find. Uh, Congratulations to all involved. And uh, and we look forward to yeah f- further uh, scrutiny in, in as far as the find is concerned and the details thereof. 
Yep. So that is the latest news in biblical archaeology. But it's not the only news of late because – and can we jump onto the next thing here, Ross? Let's do, man. Let's jump. Well, the uh, mm. the other thing that's uh, really – well, it did appear in the news over the last couple of weeks uh, was the Siloam inscription. Now, there was news, a rumor, Ross, yep. that the Siloam inscription, the original Siloam inscription yep. uh, was going to be transported from Turkey – to Israel, they were giving it back. Was the uh, the news report, and everyone when everybody was quite pleased with this. Um, I was already thinking of how we could uh, visit that in the Israel Museum. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. Yeah. But uh, this was the rumor, and the rumor turned out to be false. But in any case, what it does highlight is obviously the Salam inscription. Um, why is it in Turkey? How did that happen? Uh, and uh, and so on and so forth. And this eventually ties into. Uh, our story, but we'll get there eventually. Salam inscription, fill us in. Yeah, so you, you, as you mentioned, uh, Isaac Herzog is the pre- the current president mm. of Israel. He he goes and he has a meeting with uh, Erdogan, and and according to the earlier reports, was Erdogan said, "Yeah, we're going to give it back." Everybody got excited. We posted about it on Facebook and Twitter, and yay, we're going to get it back. It particularly interested me, Jonah, because as you know, my second book, which I'm working on, is very much tied to the Siloam mm. inscription. And and so then almost uh, less than a week later, I think, Turkey, they put the microphone to Erdogan and he goes, ah, I never said that. You know, what? Well, you didn't say it, so now it's not coming back. So <sighs> it, it's crazy. Now, the why is something which is discovered in Israel, we'll get to this in a moment, why is something that was discovered in what is now the City of David area, where we're going to take people on the Tanakh tour, what in the world is it doing in Istanbul? That's a Mm. good question. Well, Mm. what people don't realize is that at the time of the discovery, the Turks, or the Ottomans as they were called, ruled the land of Israel. And so we're talking late 19th century. This is my time. Uh, I I guess a quick history lesson is in order if I can tell people a few points. You okay with that, Jono? So so Edward Robinson discovers what is called the Siloam Tunnel or Hezekiah's Tunnel uh, Mm -hmm. in 1838. And every 19th century giant of the day, explorer, writer, so forth, uh, gets in the middle of this. People like Charles Wilson, Charles Warren, plenty of others. And they're all interested in the Siloam Tunnel. Uh, you know, and, and so they discuss it. They speculate as to w- what is it? I mean, what was it for? Is it this? Is it that? Now, when you and I walked through this tunnel, you remember that? That's one of your favorite mm. things you've ever done, isn't it? That- Oh, oh, absolutely. I can't wait to do it again. I tell you, I, I am never going in there again. This this tunnel was specifically... In fact, if, if it proves anything uh, about the people of the day is that they were all as tall as you, Ross. In fact, you you were probably the tallest person there yeah. uh, when when it was chiseled. And um, <laughs> I, I, who someone who was six foot four, I had no idea what I was in store for when I went there in 2015. But um, I walked through there hunched over for 20 minutes going, are you serious? I'm telling you now. There was language language coming from behind me that was just shocking. I'm going to tell you, every time 
every time you cracked your head on the low hanging roof, and I was jumping up and down, and it was fine. So no, it, it actually you were doing cartwheels. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even no, I'm not even kidding when I tell you this is honestly this is true. If the water was any deeper. Yeah. I would have just gone down and I, I would have just floated along the, the water and just got into the water and floated along that way because and just walked on my hands like a salamander. You know, I, I would have done that like an axolotl. Um, but uh, and it, it, I considered it for a while, but the water wasn't quite deep enough for that. Yeah, uh, I'm never going in there ever again. But at least I can say now because uh, you made me do it. I, at least I can say I have done it. And I can tick that box. Like the like the time that you made me walk up the snake path to Masada. You and I, I have had so many fun adventures. But listen, I I don't particularly like that kind of stuff myself. I don't I don't really like it's it's look, it's cramped quarters, it's it's hundreds of meters long, uh it's totally dark, like it's not lit up in the modern world either. They don't have a string of lights. You go in with a candle or a, a, a flashlight, a flashlight, lantern, whatever, and you make your way through. Watch your head. Now it's it's. Uh, don't it's, be dropping uh, your phone. No, it's a varying heights. Don't, don't yeah. drop your phone like like your wife did into the know, swimming pool I know, today. I know. <laughs> yep, yep, yes. That was uh, that was something too, and I'll have to tell you a story about that later. But anyway, okay. so when you go through this tunnel. Hey, I don't like this cramped, dark. Like I don't think I have claustrophobia. You, you get a little. I was going to say you get a little claustrophobic. Let me tell I you remember, what I have um, to do. I, I'm tell. This yeah. is no exaggeration. When I oh. first walk in, see, as a tour leader, you can't you can't be a chicken. You know, like you can't go. I'm kind of scared to go in a dark, deep <laughs> tunnel. You have to you have to man up. So what I do, this is a secret. I go in, and that water is cold. It's ice cold, and it's usually about up to the mid thigh on an average size man. It probably was what a little above your ankles, but just over my ankles. But, yeah. But what I do is I walk in and I get two handfuls of that cold water and I splash it on my face so I don't pass out. I don't like it. Okay. Anyway, so you you walk through now this. This I don't like it at all. So this tunnel, in the early days, in the eighteen uh, from eighteen thirty eight to the eighteen eighties, when you would go into this thing, there was all sorts of rubble, rocks, and mud, and muck, and mud mire. And, and, no, and, but also mosquitoes and malaria. And oh all, yeah, all yeah. And, yeah, and people are in there getting you know you know slowly layer upon layer taking it like. Well, I listen can't believe, to this. I mean, someone had to do it. Yeah. Let me let me tell you. Here here's the deal, Jono. When you and I went through, as bad as it was in your description, I mean, really, the ground is level. You walk through. It it yeah. is sort of low in the ceiling at spots, but but you can walk through even if you have to hunch over. But back in the day, in 1838, these people, you talk about man up. Like Charles Warren and and Charles Wilson mm. and people like that, they had to get on their belly and scoot through. And listen to this: there were times when the water would rise higher, and there were times where some of these early explorers like almost got trapped in there and had to get the hell out before they drowned. Oh man, I mean, it was bad. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I I happen to have read enough history that when I get in there. For some reason, I still go, oh, remember when Charles Warren, you know, and I think about the water rising. Now, here's another story. 
there was this this story that inside this tunnel, uh, the local Arabs believed, they told this story in the 1800s, that there was a demon or a dragon or a genie that lived in there. Well, it's already scary, Jono. And you tell people <laughs> about this. <clears throat> so in 1880, yeah. there is a young boy by the name of Jacob Eliyahu. I'll tell this quickly. I, by the way, oh, this is this is in my book, but I'm not going to give away all the good stuff that you know, Jonah. Uh, so just relax. I'm, no, no. Can I just? I'm not going to give away away yeah. anything either. But um, Ross's. I'm just going to let people know uh, Ross's new book. It, he he filled me in on the first chapter. In fact, the the backstory. So what mm. he's about to tell you now, the backstory is harrowing and amazing, and just uh, if you think you have problems in life you won't after you after you listen to this when the when the book comes out you've got to get it just for the first chapter my goodness yeah oh my goodness but um fast forwarding past all of that and jacob eliyahu go for it jacob eliyahu jacob eliyahu here is the story on jacob his parents uh jacob is born in ramallah and jacob's parents came from turkey and we'll mm. we'll tie up the loose ends in a minute. They come from Turkey. They're of Sephardic Jewish background. They come to the Holy Land uh, during the the late uh, 19th century, and uh, they they first go to Jerusalem. But the mother uh, gets you know you just mentioned malaria and all this. She gets very very mm. sick, and so she moves out of Jerusalem. Was a bad place for your health back in the 19th century. So they move to Ramallah. She gets better, evidently. Uh, we don't know much about him from there. The next thing we know is that Jacob Eliyahu is back in Jerusalem. He's 16 years old, and he is working with Conrad Schick. Now, people can look up Conrad Schick. It'll be in my book, but he's a fascinating guy, mm. a brilliant, brilliant man. And uh, Jacob is uh, assigned to his school and, and Conrad Schick's school. So there are a couple of different versions of the story, but the story goes that Jacob was interested in archaeology. He's a brilliant young guy. He's fluent mm. in five languages, and, and he's heard the story that presumably scholars are beginning to think that this tunnel was executed uh, during the days of Hezekiah. Now, this was an early belief. You know, even now, most mm -hmm. people will you say, Salom Tunnel, they go, oh, yeah, Hezekiah's Tunnel. Well, so at the time, and so he wants to go through it, and he convinces his friend Sam, probably Shmuel, uh, he says, hey, you, you want to have some fun? And he's like, yeah, what you want to do? All right, we're going to start on either end, and we're going to go through the the tunnel. And, and Sam starts on one end, he starts on the other. Uh, Jacob begins from the south end, and he starts mm -hmm. going through. Totally dark, a horrible footing, full of mud and rubble, and it's hard, you know, and the water can rise any time, and mm -hmm. there might be a dragon or a genie in there, for all they know. <laughs> right. Well, Sam Demon, gets yeah. scared. Sam gets scared. He doesn't know my trick of splashing your water with the uh, face with the water, so he, he <laughs> takes off. He quits, and now uh, Eliyahu is so far from him, he doesn't even know. He's walking through, and and uh, he slips, he stumbles, and he's only about 25 feet into the southern end, and he's he's trying to find his way, feeling around different stories. One says he mm. has a candle. One says his candle goes out, it hits the water, which I can't imagine. Mm. It's dark, dark, dark. So he, he, But he's feeling along the wall, Jonah, and he feels the, the chisel marks in the wall change. Now, 
The report that I believe is that he does still have light. And 25 feet into there, you you ain't got no light unless you have a candle or something. Mm. But he sees on the wall what he thinks are ancient, uh, some type of letter. He doesn't know the alphabet. So uh, he gets out. He realizes later that Sam has quit on him. But he goes and tells Conrad Schick, hey, I found something in Salom's uh, tunnel that I think is ancient writing. And and now think about it. Uh, Charles Wilson, Charles Warren, all these great explorers have been through there. They never mention anything. But Schick goes mm. with him. And sure enough, Jono, he can make out what he thinks uh, is an ancient inscription engraved in the wall. And uh, so long story short is this is in June of 1880. Now, people have to trust me on this because right. if you if you start trying to figure it out, you're going to find all kind of dates. I have every article that was published in English, French, and German, and I've all I've looked at every one of them. June of 1880, Eliyahu discovers it. Uh, right after that, this thing, uh, Schick sends a notice uh, to the German scholars. And he also sends it to Walter mm-hmm. Besant. All these people that they know from my first book, they're going to recognize some of these names again. Mm-hmm. It's the same group of scholars. So the the short end of the story is, is that Schick basically says the first publication, the formal announcement from Conrad Schick is titled Phoenician Inscription in the Pool of Siloam. And he, he, it's published in the Palestine Exploration Fund Quarterly Statement, uh, 1880. And he, he tells everybody about this discovery. Uh, and I'll just read you just a couple of lines if you think we have time, Jono. Go for it. All right. He says, uh, he starts off, I'm not going to read all this, but he starts off with how all investigators are trying to figure out if this is connected to King Hezekiah. He said there was nothing that could help us date it, so he had given up, Conrad Schick had given up on any reasonable solution to this. However, he says, A short time ago, one of my pupils, when climbing down the southern side of it, stumbled over the broken bits of rock, fell into the water. On rising to the surface, he discovered some marks like letters on the wall of rock. And he tells how he went to uh, look at this. He describes, he goes on to describe, Jonah, about a uh, two-foot table, a tablet inscribed on the wall. Now, initially, he says that there are approximately eight lines of text, but he can't tell for sure because guess what? The water is too high. The water reaches Mm. over the bottom of it. Fast forward, at that time, he notifies the scholars, and everybody wants a piece of it. This is bigger news. They didn't have Twitter and Facebook or YouTube, but this is bigger news than this uh, e-ball inscription, this lead uh, amulet. Mm. Uh, Archibald Sacy, one of the big names, Neubauer, uh, all of these guys rushed to try to get their ideas of what it says. One guy by the name of Moses Shapira. Mm. We know that he is one of the first ones to enter into the fray. He goes immediately, works with Schick. He and Schick are buddies. Uh, he begins to try to mm-hmm. figure out what it says. He determines very soon into this that it's it's uh, it was written by the people who made the tunnel. Now look, the first reports on this that are published in scholarly journals say, we don't even know what it says. 
We can't make it out. There's too much lime deposit in the letters. In other words, it's dirty. It's been down there for 2,000 years, 2,500 years. Mm. So uh, Shapira says he thinks that it has to do with the builders of the tunnel. So he puts his Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts together, and he talks with the Germans. He talks with the British. Well, Sacy finally gets there, and they begin to make transcriptions by candlelight. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what are the letters, and, and they're each submitting different transcriptions. And one of the lines, line number five, mentions a distance. Sacy, Archibald Sacy says it says a thousand cubits. Uh, Shapira is the first one, this would be in my book, that says it's 1,200 cubits. Mm. Everybody laughs at him. You're crazy. That's not right. This is wrong. Uh, Neubauer criticizes him. Sacy criticizes him. All of these top scholars. Now, guess what? If you Google it right now, you're going to see Shapira was right all along. Mm. Condor. Mm. Condor, the great soldier Yes, scholar. Captain Claude Condor. Yeah, Condor, yeah. Uh, Condor is one of the ones who, who says, you know, Shapira's the one who tells us that this tunnel was built by two teams of uh, excavators working until they met in the middle. So he attributes mm. that that everybody considers common knowledge. Now, it's a, it all goes back to Shapira. Now, mm-hmm. fast forward. March 23rd, 1881, <clears throat> just a few months after it was discovered, a guy by the name of Hermann Goethe goes to Jerusalem on behalf of the German-Palestine Exploration Fund, and he sets up shop. He acid cleans it two times, which he takes a lot of criticism mm-hmm. for. They think it's going to eat the rock, but they're wrong. And once he cleans it, then they're able, and they get the water lowered, they're able to take a squeeze where they take a a squeeze. Yeah, yeah, they take a squeeze. Let me me explain that because people might get the wrong idea. They press into the rock uh, this material which uh, goes into the letter forms, and then you have an exact reverse copy of the inscription. And Mm. then, then they use that to make cast, so that they have a replica of this thing. Turns out Shapira, he's not right about everything, but he certainly uh, is a contributor towards our understanding of the stone. Now, for the first three or four years, from 1880 until, let's say at least until late 82, this is debated uh, back and forth, back and forth. Now, by the way, even today... People are writing articles on this and debating, you know, did we misread a letter on line three? No, whatever. Um, and then it it, uh, it it sort of fizzles out 83. Don't hear a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, 1890 in July, about 10 years after the discovery by Jacob Eliyahu, this particular stone, the inscription that's in the tunnel at the City of David, uh, mm. A rich person in Jerusalem, uh, I'm not going to give away all the details, orders or, or pays a poor Arab worker or Arab workers to chisel the thing <sighs> out of the wall. Now, if you oh, go my. now, if you go now, remember how we looked at it on the wall and you, you, mm. you know, we looked at it with the flashlights? That's a replica, as are the ones in the Israel Museum and wherever else you've seen it. Uh, mm. But they chisel it out, and as they chisel it out, Jono, 
it's broken into six oh. or seven pieces. Oh. Yep. Now the good, the good the, news. The, it's just no. There's no good news. It's utterly infuriating, and it absolutely reminds you of the um, the Moabite stone. I know. Uh, very very similar story. Yeah. In in just a couple of sentences, the Moabite stone. What happened there? Yeah. The the Arabs realized that the Europeans were willing to pay big dollars for it, and uh, they they were ordered by the Pasha uh, to get handed over to these Europeans, and they get mad. So they throw it in a pit, heat it up, firecracker hot, throw ice-cold water on it, and bash it with rocks into a bunch of little pieces. And the (laughs) only reason that we have any idea what it says is some of the pieces were recovered. Yeah, and there was a squeeze. So because of the same reason, we got a squeeze and some cast, which I've held in my hands mm. when I went to England with the Tyler. Oh, I know. <clears throat> All yeah. this stuff is going to be in the book, man. And, and so oh, man. it's going to be good. So, so we know what it says. We know that Shapir was right on some things. I'm still looking at whether or not he was right on another key point that's still debated a little bit. Uh, but in eight, July of 1890, a decade almost to the day, of its discovery, chiseled out, broken. It was kind of halfway pieced back together and put on display in Jerusalem for a short period of time. Then it was smuggled out to Istanbul. Well, it was Constantinople then, but it's the Mm. territory of the Ottomans. See, the Ottomans were, they were waning. Their rule of uh, Jerusalem and and the land was just about to, to go away to be replaced by the British. But at the end, they take it. They steal it. Now, they have a couple of other inscriptions we're not going to talk about tonight for the same reason, because when they were discovered in the land of Israel, they belonged. uh, Israel was occupied by the Ottomans. So the Mm. Ottomans, it's now. By the way, if you go now to Istanbul, you can see the original one in the museum there in Istanbul. So it's been there. Since July of 1890. And right. um, so successive leaders in Israel have tried to coordinate its repatriation to the mm. state of Israel. You know, mm. uh, BB, many others, including Isaac Herzog, who just tried to do this. And so right. what they want is they, they tell them, look, we'll give you some of your stuff that we have, Ottoman type things, and you give us back our stone. And uh, and they just won't do it yet, uh, but who knows? Maybe with uh, with the publication of my book, I can sort of try to champion that again, and maybe inspire some people who have uh, the influence, the pull to go. really fight to get that back to the land of Israel, where it belongs, Jonah. Where it belongs, where clearly it belongs. where it belongs. Yep. What an incredible story! And uh, as I mentioned before. The, the backstory up to this point is is just amazing. You're going to love the book when it comes out. When, when are we expecting it, by the way? You know, my goal, if I can judge based on the way I wrote the Moses Scroll, I really took about six months to write it. Uh, it, it was about as long. I took about a year on each one to really research because when I research, I don't want to miss anything. So I've spent um, more than a year researching for this book. And mm. I would guess that what month is it now? It's uh, uh, March, almost almost, uh, almost April. I, yeah. I think I think I can reasonably say that 
for sure by the end of the year, the book will be complete. Uh, that's my goal. That's my short-term right. goal. I mean, I even, let me just say this. Even I, though we're... Even though we're taking, you know, uh, most of uh, October, November off, I mean, we're going to be in in Israel and <laughs> yeah. But you uh, see, part of that, that, part of that, Jonah, is we're going to be showing people some of the things that are included in my book, and I'll be rehearsing these things that I'll be writing about. So it's going to uh, facilitate uh, yeah, a, a better writing. Yeah, it's part. part so just, research. just, I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, just so everybody knows, we will be going. Uh, this year in November on the Tanakh tour to the city of David. We don't go every year, but we're going, we're endeavoring to go this year. That's right. And Ross, Ross will be cartwheeling through Hezekiah's tunnel uh, yeah, and showing everyone I'm not going. Yeah. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I have is, to. This is your job. You're doing it. Yeah. Um, and showing everyone where the Salaam inscription was chiseled off, where the replica is now. And uh, we'll be doing that most certainly. And that's not the only exciting thing that we will be doing uh there is still room available to your listeners you should know that there's room on our israel tour simply go to tanakhtours.com or hey, let, there'll be a link on truth to you where you are let me put a couple of quick other uh other quick little digs about this uh the tanakh tour jono I, I i really hope i think a lot of people are tired of being cooped up in their homes and all this stuff with covid they're ready to travel. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have longed to go to Israel. Some people who've even been with us before, Jonah, they've never been on one like this, partly because everything uh, that we put on this tour uh, is with what we've been doing for the last few years. For instance, no more will we just go to Qumran. When we go to Qumran, I've, you and I have talked about and studied and researched the Qumran Scrolls we mm. know stories that we didn't know three years ago, four years mm. ago, two years ago. We're going to be talking about things, and we're going to bring people not just to Qumran to the site. We're going to have, I don't even know if we've talked about this, so I'm just letting it out of the bag. We're going to have the bus driver drive us right down the road to where those caves are that aren't. Oh, yeah. And we'll let yeah, people see. Yeah, So, So we're going to actually bring them to a cave. Now, you can't say anything, though. We'll let you walk up to it and look in it. Can't go in it because there are protected endangered species in there. Dragons, mm. you know, things like that. Bigfoot. Yeah, genies. Whatever, genies. Things, yeah. But we'll let you look in it. And and you'll never get a chance to do this on any other tour. When we go ah. to the Israel Museum, instead of just turning people loose with a, a candy bar and a time to meet <laughs> us back, we're going to go stand around the replica of the Moabite stone, and I'm going to tell them this this uh, incredible story about why it looks like a Frankenstein put back together. <laughs> I'm going to tell them what's wrong with the replica, why it doesn't actually represent what it really did in its original state. It's only pieces mm. of, you know. Anyway, and again, when we go to the Siloam inscription, we go to the city of David, they'll hear the yeah. behind-the-scenes story about the greatest archaeological discovery, in my opinion, in the land of Israel, the greatest, and uh, and and I'll tell them why that is. Uh, but we're going to see if, things that nobody else sees. We we are not only that. If you've been keeping up to date, and I'm sure you are, dear listeners, uh, with the uh, Shapira uh, saga, the Moses Scroll, and all the details thereof, Russ is going to be taking us on a walk through the old city to all the relevant places. Uh, we're going to be finding where Shapira's shop was and yep. uh, and things like that. And so uh, we'll be doing that as well. 
and uh, and not to mention everything that uh, Toby is going to be talking to us about. We're oh, going to be yeah. going to some incredible places, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, there's only we're, we're about two thirds full, so don't leave it too long, dear listeners. If you want to join us, we want you to join us. Uh, but you need to put down your deposit to secure your place. You can do that at tanaktours.com or just click on the link uh, on truthtoyou.org where you are now. It'll take you there. That's not the only tour. While we're talking about tours, that's, that's right. not the only tour I was we're just doing. about to say, look. Go on. J- Jonah, they, you, you and I know this, and I think they should know this, and if they don't, I don't know why. You can not only go to the Tanakh Tour Israel, which we highly recommend, but you could, if you have the means to do this, and we already have several who've signed up for this, mm. you, you get one and a half days between the end of the Israel Tanakh tour, which can be filled with fun and exciting things. Yeah, we got a Shabbat and, in between. And, and then we're going to cross over into Jordan, and we're going to see all kind of cool stuff over there. there we this absolutely is, are. This is going to be incredible. The biblical Jordan tour. So, uh, as it pertains to the the wilderness itinerary and and uh, Israel um, moving up from the land of Seir up into the uh, eventually up into the land of Bashan and so on and so forth. Now we don't get to go that far. Uh, that's up in in Syria, but we are going to go as far as we can. We're going to be looking down uh, at the Sea of Galilee, the Canaret, and and all the stories that uh, that happened there. We're going to be going down to the Dead Sea on that side. Oh, uh, of yeah, in, in Jordan, we're going to be looking at the Wadi Mujib, and this is exactly where the Moses Scroll was found. We're going to go further south down to Akhabar and, and Wadi Rum. Of course, we're going to go to Petra. Can, hey, wait, 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 wait. There. Can't Jono, can we can we see if we can camp out in the Wadi Rum? I'm telling you, not only are we camping, can you imagine anywhere better than just like we're going to be spending a Shabbat there, we're going to be chilling there, camping out, and I'm oh, not talking about little. Man. Little tents, we're talking about luxury tents out in the middle of nowhere. The desert is just going to be so beautiful. I can't wait for that. But before we get there, Ross, we are spending significant time uh, in uh, looking at Petra and all around there. And that's that's a real big hitter when it comes to Man. Jordan. But we're following the uh, the King's Highway back up. And uh, we're going to – just so many places uh, that we're going. And Mount Nebo – you know, we want to look at, at, at Israel the way that Moses looked at Israel. That's right. Um, so many things that we're doing. Uh, and there is still room available on that tour as well. Don't leave it too late. The thing is, dear listeners, what we're finding is that um, because everybody wants to get out of their house and they want to go overseas and they need a holiday, they need to get out. And yep. uh, people who listen to Truth To You are like, well, my my interests are in, um, are in you know biblical matters and I want to get over there, have a holiday like that. And uh, so everyone is is rushing because before uh, you know the pandemic hit, of course Israel was experiencing month by month records in tourism, uh, yep. and it is already bouncing back very very quickly. And we have secured a limited amount of rooms. So once they're full, they're full. If you want to join us, we would love for you to join us. Tanakhtours.com. Uh, or just simply click on the link that you'll find on Truth To You where you are right now. Yeah, and 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 one other thing, speaking of uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, I was excited to learn this uh, years ago and always wanted to see the famous Copper Scroll. Now, the Copper Scroll is not yeah. in the Israel Museum at the Scroll of the no. Book like so many. It's actually in Jordan, and you and I have put that on the tour, so we're going to go to we're the museum there. in Jordan. We're going to see... The Copper Scroll up close, in person, 
We'll talk about this very fascinating text, which seems to describe a treasure map. And uh, who knows, maybe Ooh. maybe we'll get into this uh, at a later point. You and I can, uh, we you could and I can find it. Out. We could find it. Yeah, we'll you find know, it. remember our, yeah. our friend uh, Larry. Uh, Larry Larry Borntrager. You know, he he's got hey, some really good points, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll bring him into the team, and, and we'll pick well, up and work. If with we him. find it, if, when we find it, we'll cut him in. It's all right. That's what we ought to do. That'd be the right thing to do. Right. He's worked his. That'd be the right thing to do. Good deal. All right, dear listeners, that is it for this week. We hope that you join us again this time next week when we will be returning to the text of the Moses Scroll. Fragment G is where we're up to. And until then, dear listeners, have a great one. Have a beautiful week.